Okay, there we are. Okay, everyone. Hello, dummies. Hey, dipshits. Just a number of different ways to address our audience that are terrible. <laughs> Riff raff. Yeah. Scumbags. Yeah, scumbags. I like that one. <laughs> hey, scumbags. This is Kyle Radio. This is our tattoo episode. We're going to be talking about Japanese tattoo culture, both past and present. Uh, right now, you're listening to Control SS by what band is this, Jared? Broiler. Broiler. Yes, I'm Aaron. This is Jared. Uh, what other bands are we going to be hearing tonight, Jared? Uh, tonight, what we have on the list so far is we have uh, Discunder. We got a couple tracks from Discunder. We got some Dollhammer, and we're going to do some hardcore punk with Horse and Gear also. Awesome. Sounds like fun. Once again, this is Control SS by Broiler. Broiler. again, Kala Radio, the tattoo episode, and we have a special guest with us here in our quote-unquote studio. We're recording this <laughs> in Jared's apartment in Gotanda. Is it Gotanda? Uh, Togoshi. Togoshi. Yeah, we're in Togoshi okay. right now, near Gotanda. Right, 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 right. Kind of a, not, it's residential, would you say? Yeah, it's mainly residential area, but they have like the Shoten guy down the street, hmm. Togoshi Ginza. Which, from what I've heard, is maybe the longest Shoten guy in Tokyo. Mm. Maybe the longest in Japan. Oh, wow. So it's um, pretty long. Well, we're talking about tattoos today. I just got one over at uh, Tokyo Hardcore Tattoo. It's a Simpsons reference so obscure that only the initiated will ever be able to understand it. Uh, while I was there, I got a chance to speak with uh, Nobu, the... Uh, artist who gave me the tattoo, who did his apprenticeship in L.A., uh, lived there for 10 years before coming over here to work at Hardcore Tattoo in Koenji. If you're a fan of the show and if you're a fan of the music that we feature, you'll probably really like that shop as well. Uh, Jared, why don't you introduce our guest? 
All right, so our guest today is Eric Hurlbert, who is uh, one of my classmates, actually, at a university. Uh, Eric, say hello. Say hello. Uh, hello, happy to be here. It's my first time doing a podcast. I'm a little bit excited. Yeah, you should be. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, now, quick glance around the room. Uh, all of us have tattoos. You guys have consider considerably more ink than I do. Um, Jared, looks like you got a full sleeve, at least, mm -hmm. and then one other one on your left arm, and mm -hmm. I'm assuming you have... Two others uh, un, that aren't me and I right now. Yeah, I have uh, the full sleeve, um, and then I have two on, on my chest, front of my shoulder. Um, I have one in the middle of my chest, which is an old one, and it's not even finished. Now, um, the, the sleeve is done in a very Japanese style. Did you get that done here? Yeah, I got that. Uh, I got this one here at uh, Horimitsu, Honey Tattoo. Um, Where is that? Horimitsu was the artist. Uh, it's in Ikebukuro. Huh. And actually, me and me and Eric have the same artist. Oh, yeah, I'm yes. actually, I'm actually going. I, I think I might actually be the most tattooed here, where I have the two, three quarter sleeves. I have all of my leg done. Oh, wow, really? On my back, I have uh, Borneo Rosetta's and uh, what's the Pulp Fiction quote from Samuel Jackson, where he's holding the gun to Marvin? Oh, the uh, the uh, yeah. okay, from my half of uh, most other righteous man yeah, yeah. set on all sides, things like that. I got a koi fish on my side. I got kanji on my chest. So I'm, yeah, I saw the kanji one uh, underneath your shirt there when I was undressing you with my eyes. <laughs> uh, how much? How many of those did you get here in Japan? I got probably, I'd say about two thirds of my tattoos either. In Japan, or I got a good amount in Korea as well. Oh, really? Uh, my first tattoo I got in Korea from a man who did not have any tattoos. And that is a terrible idea. <laughs> Don't get a tattoo from somebody who does not have any tattoos because he had no idea what he was doing. Uh, it was not, I had to go, when I got back to the States, I had to get it covered up because it was a solid black uh, star. You know, the real tattoo artist I went to just as soon as she saw it she just started laughing she was like yeah I can fix this but this is really gonna hurt because I'm just basically gonna make it bigger and then go a lot deeper because I have to you know go through all the scar tissue mm -hmm. and that was to this date that's the only tattoo that really hurt that I've gotten so far like the one on my chest I barely felt that one yeah, chest wasn't so bad for me yeah then everyone told me it would it but like right on the bit. sternum yeah. that it would hurt and it barely felt it at all I think yeah, the, the on the chest or like the areas the closer it gets to your armpits right so this area here like yeah. that, that hurts like a bastard I did notice uh, the one I just got is on the like my triceps and mm -hmm. like the further north it got to, towards my armpit it started feeling um, kind of weird mm -hmm. like a weird numb kind of tingling sensation we were talking uh, man I really was trying to avoid using this word but I don't think there's a way to do it we're, we were talking about the philosophy of tattoos like why do you get them? Why do no, you like them? Call the mentality. Mentality. Yes. Thank you. Oh, thank God. I don't have to use that word. Uh, the mentality behind it. A friend of the show, Tom Smith, uh, drummer of Wretch, you would have uh, heard us talk about him, or rather you would have heard me talk about him with Tom Giles. Um, he also has a sleeve done in the Japanese style, and he is both an artist and occasionally a tattoo artist, and his uh, mentality behind tattoos is that he likes to collect art. He's an artist, he likes art, he wants to collect it and have it on him so that he has it forever, which is a neat idea. My own mentality is strikingly different. Uh, like I said earlier, I use the, the cat metaphor. Like, if I want a cat, I just want a cat. I don't care what it looks like or what, what its personality is or what it means, really. I just want, just give me a cat. Just give me a cat. I'll develop my relationship to this cat later. Just give me the cat. Jared, uh, where do you fall? I think those are two pretty uh, extreme opposites. 
You say you're somewhere in the middle or somewhere else entirely? I'm probably somewhere in the middle where I, I tend to put at least, I think, a lot of thought into tattoos that I get. Um, I normally think well, about what I want. Well, if you're the lead, it takes up a yeah. great deal of uh, real estate. Um, Eric, how about you? I, I would agree with you a little bit with Jared, where mine more so is it's... I like a certain style, so the majority of my tattoos are Japanese style, yeah. but I also have tattoos that remind me of things that I liked, like in my childhood and stuff mm-hmm. like that, so I have a Calvin and Hobbes on the inner Oh, side no of my way, can I see it? Like that. Yeah, it's from, a, from the old Essential yeah, Calvin and Hobbes Yeah, book. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hobbes. So I have something like Knocked that, so porch. that's one part, but also one of the reasons I got tattoos here is because uh, Japan's one of the only places that does tabori tattooing, which is that stick and poke tattoo, oh, yes, which yes. you can't do it anywhere else in the world, mm-hmm. and it's definitely a different experience where if you've been tattooed with a gun, it's nothing like that at all. Really? Where just the sound, the, the pace, the pain, you're rocking the entire time, it's just a completely different experience. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, a, it's like relaxing. It's almost really? cathartic in a way, and that sound, that... Oh, have, have you sound. done the 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 tabori? Yeah, and really? it's 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 less painful, and it's like it's very at least for me it was very relaxing. Although uh, the stick and poke uh, is getting more popular, there's a I follow on Instagram a tattoo artist from uh, Britain who I think has a series on Viceland right now about uh, tattoo culture across the world, who does a lot of the uh, poke tattoos in her shop in London. Uh, she, her, she herself is not just covered in tattoos, but uh, other body modifications. She's got the split tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's got her the, the whites of her eyes tattooed to purple. Several uh, uh, brands, I believe, is how she yeah. did them. You know, the burning. She has, like, brands on her forehead. She looks like a goddamn space alien. <laughs> and, in a good way, though. She's a very attractive young woman, apparently a very talented tattoo artist. Uh, but more and more I've been seeing that... Uh, the poking come back into style. I do think there's a bit of a difference. Of the, one of the reasons I chose to get it done here is because if it's like a, if it's a real, real artist who does it here, they've gone through an apprenticeship system mm. where there's a part of a family where they learn from a master mm. and they gain a name. You know, so we, like we said, we both got tattooed from Horimitsu. Where Hori is a title means carver, which has been passed down from generation to generation. Really? Where people who don't have that, they haven't done that kind of Japanese training they do here. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one of the reasons why I got it here because oh. of the kind of that culture that seeps into it because. I mean, tattoos, in all honesty, they really are just art, but it's also a culture attached to it, which I appreciate. True, true. Before we get into the cultural aspects behind it, uh, you both served in the military, yes? Yeah, I was in the Air Force. Yeah, what, the are the, uh, what are the... I remember reading an article a little while ago about how they're trying to make a rule, at least in the Marine Corps, about uh, no tattoos below the elbow. Mm-hmm. Did you guys run into any problems? With tattoos in the When I was or? in the Air Force, they actually kind of eased up on the restrictions. Where really? Before it was you couldn't have Same. anything on your neck, you couldn't have anything <clears throat> on your hands. Where then it kind of, because they wanted more people, they kind of eased up on the restrictions. Like, well, if you had it, if it was a certain amount, where my time in it was never below the sleeves you couldn't have. It was something like you couldn't have more than three quarters of your exposed area mm. tattooed. So, But I, I never really had any problems. I mean, I'd have to wear... Uh, when I wore my blues, it'd have to be long sleeve instead of short sleeve. Sure, sure. I would be hot for a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the same in the the army as well. Um, the army was never as strict as the the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps is very strict about these things, um, I think. And also, they're trying to like cut down and cut back, right? Well, for a while, so, like in the, in the U.S., it seemed like in the like first half of the 20th century, like tattoo culture, you know, had a was closely connected to the military, like. Only sailors and military guys mm-hmm. had tattoos, or bikers, or something like that. Like, what's the tattoo culture like in the military? 
I think there's a big thing. I remember when I graduated from basic training, a ton of people went out and they got, you know, USAF tattoos and stuff like that, where my dad was in the Air Force and he's got, right there on his shoulder, he's got USAF, a bulldog with a beret and everything. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather's got the same thing where I do think there's a component to it where it's the kind of like, you know, even if you watch the movie Starship Troopers, what's the first thing he does when he graduates? Oh, right, right. And he gets a tattoo where there's yeah. a kind of solidarity. But it's not necessarily the tattoo. I think it's the symbol mm-hmm. of having that. It's like a badge of belonging, basically. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Well, moving from the military culture, um, Eric, I read your paper on the history of tattoos in Japan, and most interesting was the uh, the Ainu uh, uh, way up north. Please, why don't you take us through the evolution of tattooing in Japan? Oh, well, it's, this is something I worked on when I was doing my master's here. And one of the reasons I thought it was an interesting topic where if you talk to most people here nowadays, they would think there was no tattooing culture because it's so suppressed here. Sure, sure. But I mean, if you look back in 3rd century BC, the first evidence of Japanese tattooing comes from Chinese explorers where they said, we came to Japan and we found all these barbarians who were heavily tattooed. Mm-hmm. Where originally in Japan, tattooing was symbolic and it represented status. The more tattoos you had, the higher status you were. Uh, yes, yeah, I believe uh, you had a quote where it seemed like the older... Like the woman, like an older woman, would be covered with more tattoos yeah, the older you got. You see that now both in like uh, Hokkaido with the Ainu and Rikus and Okinawa, where they're heavily tattooed around their mouth and their hands and feet, mm-hmm. where those kind of things, as you get older, it denotes a higher status within like, the community and things like that. We're, we're going to try to find uh, some photos of that, I think. We should put those up on the site when we release the podcast. Mm. I mean, obviously, if we're talking about tattoos, we should probably put those up <laughs> on the as well. And yeah, if you have any, you have any photos you want to you want to yeah, share too, okay, please yeah. send them to us. Yeah, because the you had mentioned the tattooing around the lips mm. uh, in the Ainu people, which I believe they do. They still do that, or yeah. they usually use makeup now. There's there's a lot of people who still do it, but it's also it's the same thing where it's seen as if you do it, you can't like acclimate to the rest of Japanese society. Right. So right. it's very very a traditional thing. People who are very traditional Ainu would would probably do that, but people who want to kind of blend in with the rest of society probably would not. Sure. It's quite striking, though. Uh, it's, it's very, very, heavy, very heavy blacks, heavy, yeah, very heavy yeah, blues. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there's one um, Japanese movie, um, and it's the Japanese remake of the, uh, the Clint Eastwood classic, Unforgiven. Really? Yeah. I know they and um, it's basically the, it's, it's a, uh, the Japanese title, I always mess this up, but it's like, right, Sare, Zare... Sarumono or something like that, which literally just means Unforgiven. Um, but it's uh, Ken Watanabe is in it, and it's actually probably one of the most... I was surprised at the representation of the Ainu, because it takes place in Hokkaido. Hmm. Um, and they actually do try to do... Uh, it. Basically, it, it shows basically how the Japanese government, when they came into Hokkaido during the Meiji Restoration, just wiped out the oh, Ainu wow. and um, tried to get them to... What? What's the word I'm looking for? Assimilate. assimilate, yeah, thank oh, you. Okay. To assimilate to the dominant culture. Your dictionary. You have you around all the episodes. So yeah, that, that's a really good movie. I would check it out um, if you, if for our viewers who want to see that. And I know it is released in the United States with subtitles and everything. So moving on, uh, I believe you. When did the switch from tattooing being like just a, uh, like for the Ainu to being like branding criminals? So. So, that was also a European thing, but they, when did that start in Japan? That would start what's called the Kofun period, where they started tattooing, uh, representing for status was what originally was, and it spread to things like criminals, where you'd be tattooed in a certain way, which would denote what your crime was, mm. so that you'd serve your time. And well, then, uh, do, you, do you have an example of that? Like, it'd be, like, for example, three circles around your arm would be arson. 
Oh, really? Things like that. So the number of number of circles, number of dots, things like that would denote the, denote the kind of crime. And the other example would be denoting class, because you had the Henan and the Untouchables mm. be tattooed to show that, you know, don't talk, touch these people, they're corrupt. Right. So that's, we see that kind of, the first, that's the first evidence of tattooing being used in a negative way in Japan. Uh, what, what year was that, or what period? Did that I would be... When's the Kofun period? Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm horrible with days. A really like long that. time ago. A really ago. long time ago, like the. Because that was during the period where, like, they now are finding all of these like key to- tomes, right? Yeah. That they call them. Um, uh, so moving on from the brain of criminals, how long did that? Like, when did they? When did the tattooing for status disappear? Was it during that period? And then actually, the a lot of historians and a lot of scholars argue that the change in Japanese tattooing happened in the Edo period. Really? Which was what that appeared was from 1600 to 1868. Mm-hmm. And they attribute it in large part to a, actually a Chinese novel called Suidoken, which in English is The Water Margin, which it featured like 12 heroes who were just heavily tattooed in bodysuits. And you've got all these people being like, you know, I really like this hero, he's got a big dragon, I want a big dragon. And then this was the first time you really see decorative tattooing as opposed to status oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, you know what? I do remember from your paper was also in this period that um, you would see uh, geishas like getting a very small tattoo or something. Uh, they're called uh, what's it, ire bokuro, mm. which they're called like love. Or it's actually, I think that literal translation is putting in a mole, which would be in in the smallest form is that uh, a woman and a man they get a tattoo that was halfway between their wrist and the base of their thumb mm. so that when they held hands their thumbs would touch the dots uh, wow and that would later expand into places like Yoshiwara and the pleasure quarters where a geisha or kurasan would get the name of her lover tattooed or her patron tattooed on her arm or someplace that she could hide it her armpit was actually a very common spot ouch so which interesting enough that the first people who were tattoo uh, tattoo artists or tattooers how would you phrase that tattoo artists yeah, yeah. I think In, that's it, uh, yeah during this time were either geisha or uh Ukewe artists. Well, the geisha were actually the artists as well. Yes. Oh, wow. Where the geisha more practiced with the ire bokuro, with the small ones like that, where because a lot of the people wanted the images they saw on things like the water margin, they'd go to the ukeoe's artists who drew them, sure. and they'd be like, well, put this on me. And that's where a lot of the uh, terminology comes from, where the, like we talked about hori before, mm. like hori mitsu, our tattoo artist. Mm. Hori means carve. So these were people who would make carvings to make woodblock prints, and they would carve into your skin a print. Oh, okay. Wow. Where tattoos, I think, are actually called... The first name during this time was Horimono. Oh, like like carved 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 things. Yeah, wow, wow. So when when did they start being called, like, Irezumi? Irezumi would be towards the end Mm. of the Edo period. Yeah, I think uh, a friend of mine was telling me kind of the difference between, like, because they still use Horimono sometimes, Mm. but Horimono is purely decorative. 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 <laughs> decorative. <laughs> decorative. Words. <laughs> but it's purely decorative, whereas opposed to Irizumi has this sort of uh, connotation of, of it's, it's criminal, a more modern con- connotation yeah. is Irizumi. Like, if you think of Yakuza tattoos, you yeah. Irizumi. Yeah. yeah. And uh, breaking that word down, Ire, like, to enter or... Mm. Like, or put in. To yeah. put in, and then yeah. Zumi, what is that, ink, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, not quite as much fun as the Hori... Horimono. Mm. Carved things. Carved <laughs> things. Like, I like that so much better. Horimono. Carved things. Well, uh, why don't we take a short break and listen to a uh, track? Uh, what do we got coming on next? What's next? Well, I think today, Discunder uh, is going to be coming up next. Okay, Discunder. So. Uh, Ripping to the grind. Ripping to the grind. 
Uh, do you know what album this is from? Uh, it's from Ripping to the Grind. Okay, good. It's their full <laughs> length, and it was uh, their full length was just re-released uh, this year. Oh, really? Um, so it was released a couple of years back, and actually, I messaged uh, Shinji on uh, Instagram, and I was like, "Do you guys have any more copies of Ripping to the Grind? Because I need it, mm. and because I couldn't find any anywhere." And I guess he just went ahead and got it, like, reprinted, repressed. Just for you! <laughs> oh, how nice of him. That, that's what Anna Discunder said, so, you know, maybe she was just saying that to be nice. Okay, <laughs> that Ripping to the Grind by Discunder.
Alright, welcome back. That was Orgasm Grind Disrupt. OGD. What is it? Or <laughs> Orgasm <laughs> Grind Disruption. Yes, with King Lives Despite Their Crimson. A title that I don't understand. Yeah, to be honest, I don't either. And I, I don't have lyric sheets. Good somewhere. band, good track though. And we're back with Eric Hurlbert. Uh, Hurlbert. Hurlbert. Okay. Telling us about uh, the history of tattoo culture in Japan. And we're up to the Edo period. And while we took a break, you said something very interesting about who, who was getting the tattoos. Well, traditionally, the most common people who were getting tattooed were working classes. So a lot of working class people would get tattoos that were related to, related to their profession in ways of protection from fire, from water, anything like that. So people who unloaded boats would get protection from drowning or, you know, well, safety uh, from water. What would be an example of the tattoo they a would get? A koi fish. Would be protection against drowning. Against drowning. Okay. Or you'd get, for example, uh, one of the most, po one of the most, sorry, one of the largest groups who were tattooed were firefighters where they get tattoos that would not only represent the brigade from the firefighting unit, but they get things like dragons that would protect them from firefighting because firefighting technique and culture is vastly different in Asia than it is in the West. Really? Where in the West, it's all about putting out the fire, and where in Japan, it's all about containing the fire. Right, 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 right. Uh, so they would just tear the house down. Made of every, you know, everything's made of lacquered wood and paper. So they would get a lot of tattoos to protect them from that, which would, commonly enough, firefighters are actually roofers. Really? Because they knew how to build a house. Oh. And well, so they easily knew how to, to tear down a house. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So they had the same tools and everything like that. So those were them. And then there was actually a unique group of uh, people who were called like street vigilantes or street knights mm -hmm. who would go around trying to protect people. And they would get protection from violence. Oh, right, so, right, right. Yeah, you uh, likened them to the, uh, the, the guardian angels. Yeah, the guardian or, angels we see right, now. Right. Which I, I've actually seen some of them in Tokyo, which... Surprised me. Yeah, they come out like dirt. Like you see them, especially in like Shibuya for like Halloween, yeah. New Year's. Really? Yeah, yeah, I've seen them a couple times. Here, the red yeah. berets, and they always take over the green train as a as a sort of like operating yeah, base HQ during New Year's. Yeah, um, what the Yamanote? So no, no, he's Shibuya. talking about that. There's that <clears throat> green stationary train that's a museum in Hachiko Square. Oh yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, where yeah. they operate out of. Yeah. Oh. I did yeah, not know So that. every New Year's, they kind of take it over and use it as a headquarters. Yeah, I guess their job would just be to corral drunks. They are still kind of like a vigilante group, but they are <laughs> sanctioned. I, I don't like that word to use with them, because vigilante yeah. sounds like Batman, like they're more like people in the night. Keepers of the well, what they're doing is, like, you're in a dark alley, and they're like, hey, flashlight, what are you doing? <laughs> so, Bam, and if, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, that's basically yeah. what it is. Yeah. He's got something in his hand. <laughs> like, yeah, it's real big, too. Come look. <laughs> Uh, the only other group, really, that I thought when I did this research was interesting was merchants were heavily tattooed. But this comes from restrictions on displays of wealth passed down from the Bakafu, which were the ruling authorities, mm -hmm. which merchants, you know, the Edo period had this weird almost inverted social class where merchants were at the bottom because they basically they're viewed as feeding off other people's sure, production. Sure. So they weren't allowed to have opulence. They weren't allowed to display their wealth. So what they would do is they would get full body suits, which were expensive. What I pay... 20,000 yen a session, which is roughly $200. And so they'd have these full body suits which they could cover with their robes so that the authorities wouldn't see it. But in private among each other, they could take the robe off and be like, you have this decorative suit, mm. you must have a lot of money. That also, like, uh, I think you were telling me before, Eric, where it's also the style, too, where there's that kind of split... Uh, that, that, comes chest, from, that comes right? from Buddhism, where like there's this like the kind of chakra thing, where like mm -hmm. your soul and your energy runs down the middle of your body, mm -hmm. so they don't want to interrupt that flow. Oh. So it tends to just be the two sides with a with a band in the middle. Mm -hmm. Right, which was easier for the yakuza to later develop, because that way 
a button-up shirt, you could uh, yeah. leave it unbuttoned and still not reveal all the tattoos. This idea of the tattoos uh, being a sign of wealth, that's still kind of around today. Um, a young lady I used to date a long time ago who lives in L.A. now, I'm not going to mention any names, <laughs> um, she has a lot of tattoos, and one of which was huge chest piece done in the uh like the like the sacred geometry style but it's an enormous uh colorful piece on, that covers her entire chest and that would i mean how much would that normally run you in america something like mm. covering an entire chest with a lot of different color a lot of work i mean even my leg alone i've sunk in what oh god like $2,500, something like that. Yeah. Right, and she got it for free because she started dating the tattoo artist as he was giving it to her. And like so before she ended up paying for the whole thing, they started dating. That's a secret, dating yeah. tattoo artist. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but I was like, man, like you're basically just showing, it's like jewelry, you're showing off like, you know, uh, 2500 bucks worth of mm -hmm. ink. But I don't think, if you went outside of Japan, I don't think many people would see that that way. I don't think if you went to America and someone sold my sleeve, they'd be like, wow, that was expensive. It should be like, wow, that was a lot of effort, or mm -hmm. that was a lot of pain, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I think I think in America, it's it's less about wealth. I, I don't know, man. Like the more I see people, like if I see someone with a, you know, a, two full sleeves, colorful, mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that person obviously has enough disposable income to pay for that because I don't think I could afford that. Mm -hmm. You know, like every tattoo I get is small because. I can get it for you know ten thousand yen a pop. That's also pretty interesting though. Is we're talking about the display of wealth in in America to get like really high quality tattoos. It can be sometimes what one hundred and fifty to two hundred, maybe even like three hundred, like three hundred dollars an hour. Where here, I think the most I've I've paid is a hundred dollars an hour. Basically, well, I, I think it's a little bit different here too. Or the person we've gone gone to, he's mm. very well established. Like he did John Mayer's tattoos, mm -hmm. he did Katy Perry's tattoos, really? things yep. like that. Where he's not searching for clients. Where for him, like this is this is what he does. It's his passion. It's not about making money. It's not mm -hmm. a business. Like he is a tattoo artist. Mm -hmm. Where he charges what he needs to do for his business to be sustainable, and he he tattoos because it's an art. Mm -hmm. uh, well, moving on through the Edo period, uh, when did we start seeing the switch towards the association with a uh, criminal underclass? That's when uh, we mentioned a little bit before the Meiji Restoration really damaged tattoo culture. Now, damage maybe is the wrong word, but really subverted Japanese tattooing culture here, where they associated it with, you know, the Western people are going to come here, they're going to see us having tattoos, and they're going to see us as backwards or uncivilized and things like oh, that. Oh, okay. Which is really strange because you have, like, for example, kings of, of England coming to, jet, to Japan to get tattooed. But the overall cultural Seriously? perception... Yeah, there's, I forget the name, but there's actually a British king who would come here to Japan and get tattooed. No mm -hmm. way. Uh, but wow. it was... Which is the weird thing, too. Like, you talk about, you know, there's been, what, like four presidents who've ever been tattooed? Yeah, only or, one's like, proven, which is what Teddy Roosevelt has family crest on his mm -hmm. chest. Yeah, where I figured it'd be Teddy Roosevelt. Oh yeah, he, he was a badass. <laughs> <laughs> he was a pretty rad guy. But yeah, there came this idea of tattoos being wrong. So we go from working class people being tattooed, and now the government says you can't. So these working class people can't afford to be tattooed anymore, and the only people who can afford to have tattoos, really, not monetarily but socially, are gamblers, underworld people, oh, things like right, that. Right. So people then who you get this weren't going to really be affected by the, yeah, no, yeah. the shaming uh, aspect of it. So it, it becomes an underground thing with the advent of the Medjugorje restoration, so, which 
to me is just sad because it's such a rich culture and it's it's one of the oldest tattooing cultures in the world. Really? Where if you think about it, I would say the only thing I think is comparable is Polynesia with the where the mm. original tattooing comes from, where it's that, that hook where they they right, tap it into the right, skin, right, right, where the right. name actually comes from, where the sound of the hitting the mallet is tattoo, 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 tattoo. Oh, really? That's where the name that. comes from. Yeah, I figured the Pacific Islanders would have a pretty old uh, tattoo culture. Mm. I don't. I have not done any research on that. Probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, would Papua New Guinea be considered Pacific Island? Yeah, right. No, I believe so. Yeah, I have a I have a friend from uh, Papua New Guinea, and she often like talks about um, like tattoos in Papua New Guinea as a sort of uh, like almost in a negative way. She sees it as kind of like low class. Really? Yeah, and I'm not saying that this is representative of all Papua New Guineans or anything like that, but she does have this kind of classist view of it where she's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, that's kind of like gangster, it's kind of low class. I think that's one aspect of it. Mm. I also think it's an, also an aspect of, like, kind of shucking tradition, mm. where it's like, that's what old people do. No. I don't do that now. It's the same way in Japan you see the decline of traditional culture, like, how many people really watch sumo anymore? Mm -hmm. It's like, they got their hardcore older generation, but the newer generations, they don't practice mm -hmm. kendo, they don't watch sumo, all mm -hmm. these traditional aspects, where in Polynesia you see the same thing, well, that's something my grandmother did. That's not something I do. So, well, uh, I mean, the Meiji Restoration, that was late 19th century. In my opinion, one of the most interesting things is that the ban on not only tattooing, but, for example, banning swords, hmm. led to a change almost across the entire spectrum of Japanese culture, where, for example, if you ever study Yakuza films, there's two types. There's Ninkyo films and Jitsiroku films, where Ninkyo films are, you have a, tat a tattooed warrior who's fighting for the people, right. kind of like a Robin Hood kind of thing. He's heavily tattooed, he has a sword, he's fighting against the man. Where you get this advent of these, well, tattoos are for bad guys, and then you get the Jitsuroku films, which is Battle Without Honor and Humanity, where now, now they're gangsters. Mm -hmm. They aren't good guys, they aren't fighting for the people. So, yeah. What's crazy, the exact same distinction exists in Korean cinema for mm. Korean uh, gangster films. Like, I have no doubt that they borrowed a lot of their tattoo culture from Japan, or rather, maybe had it forced upon them. But the acceptance of tattoos in Korea is far greater than in uh, Japan. Even, like, mm. tattoos that obviously signified that someone was a gangster. I lived in a town in Korea called um, Yongchun, oh, which is... Oh, um, you, you know Yongchun? Uh, well, it's in Korea for two years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, uh, in, uh, south of Daegu, like two stops on the mm. Mugungwa train, like on your way to Pohong. And... I noticed, like, when I would go to Busan or anywhere around, like, whenever I would take a cab drive, a cab anywhere, the driver would ask me, like, where do I live? And I'd tell them Yongchun. they just start laughing. Because the joke is that the only thing that comes from Yongchun is grapes and gangsters. It's, like, <laughs> just a bunch of, you know, uh, working-class farming families. And, like, uh, like some gang had uh, warred with another gang, like, six years before I got there. There was, like, a knife fight out in Main Street that, like, six people were stabbed to death. And then, like, one gang took control, and they pretty much owned all the businesses downtown. And, like, the owner of the coffee shop that I went to would come in, like, in a sleeveless shirt, like, you know, uh, two quarter sleeves. And everyone, you know, knew he was the owner. Everyone knew he was, you know, mobbed up, as they say. And no one seemed to care that he was just fleshing that around. Well, I think the biggest biggest way you could you could show that example between the difference in Korea and difference in Japan is, for example, if I went to the beach in Korea tattooed, no one would say anything. Uh, uh. I'd have no problems. I could do anything I want. Where I've been at the beach in Japan and I've been told by just people who are there, they have no authority. They're not police. They're not the president or anything like that. I'd be like, you need to leave. And like, it's a beach. I'm allowed to have my shirt off. 
And it's like, no, but you have tattoos, you need to go. Uh, I've even been asked, asked to leave bars in Shinjuku. No way. Because of my tattoos. Which yeah. bars? Really? Uh, what's it called? Like Dining V? Right on that main street in Shinjuku where they have all the card games and Jenga and shit like that. Mm-hmm. I've been asked, they said, either you need to cover your tattoos or leave. No way. In Shinjuku of all places. Gosh. I think the last time we went to the, last time I went to the beach, I think it was with you guys, maybe, was it Kamakura? Mm. Uh, yeah, Yuigahama. Yugahama, yeah, yeah, Yugahama, right? Yuigahama. Yuigahama. Kamakura. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. What did I say? Kanagawa? I don't know. Kanagawa. <laughs> but, like, yeah, we went there, and, and it's like, yeah, they're like, put a t-shirt on. And I'm like, but we, we still have sleeves. They're like, put a t-shirt on. And we're there with a friend of ours who's heavily tattooed also. Um, and they're just like, yeah, just put a t-shirt on. It's like, well, we're at the beach. Why do we have to do this? And, like, the guy who's telling us this is wearing this wetsuit and has a tattoo on his neck. <laughs> yeah. Well, my big thing is they were like, put a t-shirt on. I was like, I only have a tank top. And they're like, it's fine, just put the tank top on. So I put it on, and I'm like, all my tattoos are still visible. And they're like, arigatou gozaimasu. Yeah. <laughs> and they just leave. <laughs> Where it's that kind of Japanese mentality, well, I did something, so it's okay now. Yeah. So if you, you just go out and about in Japan, you normally don't see a lot of tattoos. I think we're seeing more and more young people getting tattooed. Yeah. And especially during the that. summer, you'll see Especially uh, more young tattoos. women. Yeah. Uh, which is... I think, I think you're seeing, I think there's a difference in our tattoos... And being tattooed. Yeah. You see more people with tattooed, but mm-hmm. uh, you would, would not see someone heavily tattooed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's no, no, a, no, that's, that's a good distinction. Um, when I do see someone with a... T- well, I don't know. It's because the ones that, that I see like on the train, like the young women I see on the train with tattoos, they'll have like a small one like maybe behind their ear. You see like on their thigh or something. Right, like or like uh, on the, maybe even like the, the back of the neck. Shoulder, the neck you know, something yeah. where they can hide it easily. Yeah, or back of um, shoulder or something, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many others they have. I, you know, I've never gone up and mm-hmm. asked them, like, hey, what, what else you got? Show me, <laughs> show me what you got. Show me your tattoos. <laughs> but, I mean, I think it's interesting is, you know, I go to shows, and I'm normally the only person there with Japanese-style tattoos at, like, the metal shows and stuff. You'll have, like, a bunch of guys yeah, who do, actually, but what most I people have today, Western style. Yeah, what I noticed today at uh, Hardcore in Koenji, uh, the artist Nobu, he has a uh, very Western style tattoos um, it's the whole idea of cultural tourism I mean, it's not part of our culture so you get a tattoo why would I want to get something that I'm normal and familiar with right, as a tattoo right, right. I mean like I have like Calvin and Hobbes but that's like a nostalgia kind of thing mm-hmm. but why would I get a regular thing I see all the time mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. like a, a Celtic <laughs> thing. Like, yeah, I think a part of it is also like the, the, the culture of like say hardcore right so you see guys at punk hardcore shows they're gonna have like American traditional style tattoos right and then if you see guys at metal shows, they're going to have sort of those occult-style tattoos. Yeah. Right? yeah Where yeah, I think yeah. it's a part of the music culture as well. Yeah, I had asked uh, Nobu today, um, like, what does he remember being really popular in L.A. Mm-hmm. back when he was working out there? And he said what, what he remembers the most is, <clears throat> well, a lot of portrait tattoos, like the black, white, uh, black and gray, you know, picture of someone's face. And he said a lot of crosses. He's like, I remember, like... It's like the kind of lowrider culture. Like, there's a lot of religious tattoos, a lot of Jesus on the cross. If he's in L.A., that cholo culture is strong. Right, right, right. Yeah. And he said, though, uh, and I saw, so I assumed, like, oh, so in Japan you probably don't have a lot of, like, Jesus tattoos. And he's like, you'd be surprised. The, the lowrider culture does exist in Japan, especially down in Osaka. And he's like, and those guys, um, th- there's obviously no religious connotation behind it, but they will get crosses and crucifixes. I would extrapolate. It's, it's just... One difference in the many things you see in Japan is where I think Japan adopts a lot of things from other countries without connotation. Mm. That's why oh, you, yeah. that's why yeah. you can see guys here wearing UGG boots, where in America 
of boots are for women, mm-hmm. where it's the, it's the cross is the image of the culture, it's not the image of the religion so much, where these lowrider people in America have these, so I'm a lowrider in Japan, I have these too. Right, 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 right. I think it's interesting too, because it shows the kind of transnational nature of these different subcultures also, and the symbols that are associated with these, these subcultures, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's also very interesting, because, you know, you adopt this sort of identity, right? When you enter some sort of subculture, get involved in a subculture, right? So you start to adopt the symbols and what those symbols mean. What would either of you say to a charge of cultural appropriation of your Japanese-style tattoos? I I feel like Japanese-style tattoos are relatively accepted in America. I mean, every American artist that I know also practices in some capacity a Japanese style as well. Okay. Um, I mean, they don't do tabori and anything like that. So, I mean, I guess the thing is, like, cultural appropriation... It's like, not really a cultural thing these days. It's more of an aesthetic. It's yeah. more of an aesthetic yeah. thing. Yeah. Where that'd be like saying, if I drink green tea, I'm taking Japanese culture. Yeah. Right. Where I think cultural appropriation comes to practicing the culture without the understanding of it. Mm. Where you see that largely here in Japan, for example, with b-boy culture. Uh, yeah, where yeah. you have all these, you know, all these Japanese people who are saying, they're, I'm practicing hip-hop and I, I'm, I'm part of, I know the struggle and I've lived that life where... Hip-hop is founded on that kind of idea, which didn't exist here in Japan, but you have people claiming, well, I know what it's all about, and that's where cultural appropriation comes in. Where this, you know, if I hang a Japanese painting in my house, is that cultural appropriation? Mm. Mm. Where I agree with you that it's more of an aesthetic kind of thing, where I like how it looks, but at the same time, I'm not claiming that I'm Japanese in any way. And I would say that it has transcended the cultural aspect into an accepted aesthetic style. Right. Which I think the artist would be pleased to hear, that they're... Uh, that the Japanese style has become so accepted and popular globally. Well, I mean, I think the most interesting, though, is the the cultural appropriation discussion is not really happening in Japan. It's just not... I feel like it's very much a Western sort of thing. Now, that's why you get, like, every year you have some K-pop... Or, no, sorry, J-pop group dressing up as a Nazi or dressing yep. up in no, blackface or, black or something. Face, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember. Where they understand, like, they're like, oh, this is a symbol, but they don't understand what the symbol represents. But, I mean, even then, like, you know, I don't think Japanese people would, you know, say, oh, you're wearing a kimono or you you kata in public as a a Westerner. So, cultural appropriation, like... That's that's actually one of my favorite things in Japan is to walk by a photo studio... And they have all the photos in the window, and it'll be like, Japanese couple, Japanese child, old Japanese couple, white guy in a kimono. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I occasionally see uh, white dudes in kimonos. Uh, usually it's in, like, Harajuku. Um, yeah, or in Yukatas. Yeah. And I, I want to just, like, I, I don't know why, I just want to, like, throw my beer at them. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with it, too. I'm yeah. like, not playing. What exactly are you trying to do, guy? Like, what, what, what is this? So the Japanophile. What are you doing? Weeaboo. Like, I, ha- I had a, like, I have a, well, I don't have one anymore. I had a yukata, but, like, I wore those pajamas, like, as a robe that I wore around my apartment because I didn't have a robe. I mean, I, it's like, I, I, I wouldn't go out in public with it, you know, do the I, whole old man thing. You're, like, kind of take off, like, one shoulder, and you're like, ah. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, doing it in public and, like, doing it for show or for fun, right, is just kind of silly as a Westerner. But, I mean, I definitely know guys who have done it to appease their... Their spouses, yeah. families, that sort of thing, you know. I think it depends on what you what you mean by wearing yeah. it. If you're like, hey, I like a yukata, good on you. Yeah. Yukata's comfortable, get that breeze up in there, mm. freshen shit up. If you're like, now I'm more Japanese, that's wrong. Yeah, because you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you never will be. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I had an argument with a friend of mine about this. Uh, do you remember that this guy who, 
he used to write for Japan Times. Uh, da, uh, Daito, no. Uh, oh, uh, what's his name? Dabito. Uh, Dabito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dib- he's he's a Dib- Japanese Dib- citizen Dib- now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he back in the day, like he used to be like the voice of like, okay, like this in this part of Japanese culture is not healthy for anyone, mm. and that was welcome because there wasn't many people doing that at the time. But now, like he's become like kind of bitter and. He's like, I hate it when I, you know, show my Japanese passport and nobody thinks I'm Japanese. Mm-hmm. I'm like, because you're not Japanese, idiot. You're Canadian. You're from Canada. You grew up in Canada. You have a piece of paper that says you're a Japanese citizen. Sure, that doesn't make you Japanese. Like you didn't. It's because he doesn't realize poli- political realities. Where there's two types of nationalism that really exist in the world. There's civic nationalism, which is an American or Western style, mm-hmm. where you participate, you're part of. Mm-hmm. And then you have ethnic nationalism, like you see in Japan, where you have to be Japanese to be Japanese, where I could master the language, I could perform every single custom correctly, fluently, no matter what, but I would never be Japanese because I'm not Japanese. Well, I think also one of the things that, the argument that I got into with, uh, with my friend, I was like, he didn't, grow, he didn't grow up under the pressure that Japanese people, he didn't grow up in mm-hmm. this culture that makes you conform, that... That's part of what it means to be Japanese, right? But also, going through that, growing yeah. up within that culture. But like, I think he, did, he didn't do. He came over in the bubble days to teach English. Also you don't like, get to be Japanese now. To, Sorry, like you don't get to skip all the hard shit. To play like devil's advocate, though, he does have what two daughters now? Yes, who are half Japanese. Half oh yeah, well, and, and I, white, right? I do not deny so, like, I mean, the struggle that yeah. those you know, young women will so, have to go through. If being... we talk about like his earlier years, where he, you know, he's bringing up all these interesting points, right? Um, and then we talk about it now where he's becoming bitter. Well, probably because, you know, he's got what, I think one of his articles saying one of his daughters looks more Japanese. Right, yeah, yeah. The other I one read looks that. more Western. Like, and they went to uh, an onsen. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, okay, well, she can come in. She cannot. Well, yeah. more to your point, I think that's how Japan as a whole kind mm-hmm. of views that thing, where it's been proven that companies won't hire Japanese, or are less likely to hire Japanese people who've studied abroad. Because they feel they don't like conform into the system. Right. Where in Japan, there's this idea like you have to experience what it, the soul of the Nihonjin, the Ganbate fighting spirit. But at the, where, s- at the same time, we have all these old like guys being like, "Oh, you know, young Japanese people don't travel enough. They don't they don't experience <laughs> yeah. the world enough. That's, they don't do study abroad that's, enough." That's you know? the paradox of it. Yeah, yeah. Where like they just don't have, they don't have the money. Where they tell you, "Oh, you need to be multicultural, but you need to stay Japanese." Yeah. Which stems from that old period, of the old time Meiji thing, where mm-hmm. we would send you to Spain for five years, and then you'd come back. But you wouldn't be Spanish; you would just glean all this information mm-hmm. from Spain to help Japan. Well, that's the idea. You go abroad, you learn things that can help Japan. You don't become Spanish. You don't practice anything Spanish. I think just, I think we can all agree, like the the inherent silliness of that. Like you can't live in a foreign culture for five years and not be infected by it. Yeah. You know? I think it's all it, like it'd be dumb to even try. Like why would you you'd miss out on all the benefits? Like maybe you could come back to report about how their economy and like how their political systems work, but mm-hmm. <laughs> like the only way to actually learn about that culture is to let some of it inside of you. See, but I think that's that's our practical aspect of mm-hmm. people who are not only non-Japanese but who've traveled and live overseas, mm-hmm. where, you know, Tanshin Tunin, which is the winds of fate, where they transfer people overseas for a couple of years, where they're expected to automatically obey that command, leave your family for three years, go to England, mm-hmm. and then just come back. Where, don't 
don't gain any English culture, just mm-hmm. tell us about what England does. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, basically, to me it sounds like fucking clandestine covert operations. <laughs> Go yeah. spy yeah. on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but like, yeah, that kind of sounds like a spy. Yeah, so, but that's the, that's kind of the attitude. But like, like got right up there, uh, out there spy, just like writing in a notebook, like, okay. <laughs> it's in the middle of the meeting. <laughs> All right, yes. They are investing in this, so. Okay, it's uh, good to know. All right, uh. Sayonara. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. I've met some very forward-thinking entrepreneurs and, and people who are high up in their company and are very progressive and kind of consider themselves to be multicultural, but at the same time, I've, I've met people in their companies that just that's do what thing, they have to Yeah, do, that's one right? thing I want to say. I don't want to make our statements yeah. be like blanket statements for all yeah. of Japan, but it's things that we've noticed here that yeah. that tend to be a trend mm-hmm. in certain aspects. And I mean, I think a lot of the things that we're talking about, too, it, it, it kind of devolves to power relations as well right so like these big ceos of these big major like conglomerates right they don't yeah zaibatsu which are now the keiritsu right like they they don't really like give a shit about other cultures or having a multicultural workforce they just want to exploit what they can from other other what's uh, that uh namura bought lehman brothers Mm -hmm. and they struggled like for five or six years terribly because they couldn't get over the cultural differences between how business is done yeah, so who, like, who bought Lehman Brothers? Namura. Namura. When did this happen? What this was like, like uh, after 2008. Yeah, something like that. I asked because um, there's a big statue of a canon um, that was bought by the Lehman Brothers like mm. just before they went under. Mm. And now it's it's ba- like there's a museum underneath it, but mm. it's completely empty and abandoned. Like every, People have forgotten that this... It's like the... 13th biggest statue in the world and one of like the top four in Japan mm. giant picture or giant statue of Kanon and like everyone's forgotten about it because mm, they <laughs> had a really hard because the Lehman yeah. Brothers bought it I was like why would the Lehman Brothers buy a statue because yeah, they were heavily invested in Japan oh. but I mean it's, so. uh, it's like a, what's it Taro Hashimoto mm-hmm. what, when he was mayor was mayor governor of Osaka either or oh, yeah. oh, know, he, he implemented guy. a policy oh. of like searching all state or federal employees I guess in Japan it's not federal, but any government employees for tattoos, oh, yeah. tattoos oh, yeah. firing one, them. Uh, that one young lady yeah. ended up, I think, suing. Yeah, right? yeah which she was that's fired. that's another example of how this how this kind of how tattooing was forced underground, mm-hmm. and that vein still remains today. Where within power structures, they're still like, you can't have tattoos. Mm-hmm. Where who cares if a government yeah, employee like, has I, a small tattoo? If I remember tattoo? correctly, yeah. like it's her the tattoo the was too. not visible ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it didn't matter if it was visible. That what the, the, the what he pr- he proposed was that they had to get a physical, so they had to undress. Right. And if they saw a tattoo, you were to be fired. Which, yep. how does a tattoo affect how effectively you can do your job? Right. It doesn't. Uh, Hashimoto, that fuck, I hate that No, he's, wait, he started that new political party, what, Initiatives from Osaka? Mm-hmm. Isn't he the guy who almost fought the, uh, the, uh, uh, the leader of that, crazy. like, Zaito, yeah. Zaito Kukai? It's the anti-Korean group. I think they almost got into a fist fight in, like, a televised... Awesome. Like there was a televised um, debate between the two of them. That's I, I love seeing like, and, like they almost got into a fist that's, fight. That's one of the most interesting fight. things about Japanese politics, from my research, is that if you look back in the Anpo days mm-hmm. when they're trying to renew the security agreement with America, mm-hmm. so they had a rule like you know every parliament member has to enter within two hours. So you get people who would like take two inch steps walking through the hallway to try mm-hmm. to delay as long as they could. And they had rules like you have to have 30 members. So the party would have like 27 members and three were in the hospital. To at one point they actually wheeled a guy in a coma into the parliament. <laughs> because they just needed a body. It didn't matter if you could vote. They just needed a body. Where Japanese politics is in such a strange way where I think it's reflective of Japanese society as a whole. Where if it meets like 
it has to just say what the rule says. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it circumvents it. It doesn't matter if it subverts it. If the rule says it has to be, it has to be. So there has to be 28 people. 28 people don't have to vote. It just has to be 28 bodies in the building. That's like that, the bureaucratization, right? Yeah. Where it like basically comes from the Edo period and the shogunate and everything. So, Remember back in the 80s when everyone thought like Japanese Zaibatsu were going to take over like the entire world? Like, isn't that the world that William Gibson wrote about? Yeah. <laughs> like, Japanese corporations ruled it was like everything. They, well, that was, like, another yellow scare, like, in the 80s, right? Where they're going to they're gonna economically, you know, surpass the United States and take over the world. And Reagan's got to protect American economy from better-made cars. Trickle-down <laughs> economics. I, I see tattooing culture changing a little bit in Japan. It's a little bit more acceptable. And you hear in the news a lot people talking about with the Olympics coming, it's going to be more acceptable. But... To be honest, like, on the ground, I haven't seen much change. Mm. I still can't go to onsens. My gym yeah. still doesn't let me show my tattoos. Yeah. Right? My, yeah. Uh, I work in a public school. Like, there's no question about whether or not I will ever be able to roll up my sleeve, like, all the way. Mm. Like, oh. even, like, letting my coworkers know I have them is considered, like, my company has told me, like, you just avoid that whole conversation. And a friend mm. of mine that I work with in Osaka, he doesn't have sleeves. He's just got a number of tattoos all the way down to his wrist on each arm. But he was at a, a bonin or a Bonankai. Yeah, and your party. Yeah, yeah and um, one of the older Japanese teachers, like, Japanese coworkers saw that and was like, oh, so how many years were you in prison? Like, <laughs> he wasn't asking him, he didn't mm. actually think he had been to prison, but he was just telling him, like, that's a thing criminals have. Yeah, it was you kind know? of like, he was probably, like, he was fucking with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like in a I, condescending in, way. In my experience, actually, my co at the levels of my coworkers, because I work with Japanese mm-hmm. students, they're all super fine with it. My students have never had mm-hmm. a problem with it. It's only like those upper levels mm-hmm. that are like, well, if you have a tattoo, they're going to think you're bad. And I'm like, no one seems to think that. No, no. But it's this the high level. Yeah. I work with elementary school kids. Like I know how elementary school kids treat tattoos. Like they try to they, scratch they it off. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. They, they they try to like wash it off because they don't really know what it is. Yeah. They I, don't. Even some of my adult students will be like, "You have tattoos?" And be like, "Well, yeah. I'm, I'm an adult. I can choose my. I make my own decisions." They're like, yeah. "Why did you get it?" And I'm like, "Because I liked it." And it's like turns into like a, a two minute conversation because like a five minute conversation yeah. because like a ten minute conversation. <laughs> All right, we need to move on. <laughs> We're done with this. Yeah. I tell, uh, whenever someone, a Japanese person asks me about it, I'm like, oh, well, because everyone in America has tattoos. Literally all of my friends have tattoos. I can't think of a... Yeah, that's, that's what person. I say, too. I've, one woman I've dated in the last ten years has not had tattoos. I know one person from the United States. I have one friend from the United States that has zero tattoos. Which, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly true, Jeffrey. but, you know, it feels true enough to... Oh, uh, I'm talking about still living in the United know, States. Okay. Jeffrey doesn't have any tattoos. I'm the only one of my family that has tattoos, but it's just because like my family doesn't really they, my mom, they, they don't really care about it. My mom yeah. has one very very small. She got that girly like on the ankle tattoo. Oh, uh, I, now that you mentioned that, actually, my two sisters got matching tattoos after a Justin Bieber concert. Oh God! I can't remember what they are, but I'm really hoping that it, nothing about Justin Bieber. Is I on think me. in America though, it's kind of in that like. It's not a rite of passage, but like you're like, hey, I'm an adult now, I can do this. Where it's like you get like your ears pierced, right, or you get a tattoo. Right. Where the, I would argue the majority of Americans probably have a small tattoo. <laughs> the majority of Americans aren't heavily tattooed. Yeah. That makes a big difference. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, everyone's number one complaint about millennials. Well, not their number one complaint. But I do hear uh, like Gen Xers and baby boomers being like, oh, all these millennials, they're going to regret these tattoos. So I was like, I bet they won't. That's the one big thing people ask me about my tattoos. Like, well, it's on your skin forever. I'm like, well, it's like when you get a new haircut, you look mm-hmm. in the mirror, you're like, wow, I look different. 
But two days later, like, now I look normal. Mm-hmm. Where it's not like I look in the mirror and be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> 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 yeah. well, well, it's not coming off, <laughs> So... I think people look at his tattoos as like, well, you scarred your body, which you know you can trace that through Christian religion, mm-hmm. through what if you're Judah or if you're uh, if you are Hebrew, mm-hmm. like you, your body's a temple, things like that. But it's not really that mentality. It's like I'm carrying this with me, or this reminds me of something, or it's it's really hard to explain it to someone who hasn't experienced it. Yeah, I think the thing things too is like you know everything can be taken away from you, and your body is the only thing that you truly own with autonomy. In most cases, right? It's, it's, it's hard to explain you know? to someone like, yeah. you, what's it like getting a tattoo? And you're like, well, someone pokes you with a needle yeah, a lot. Yeah, it hurts a lot. <laughs> but that's not really, like, it's an experience mm-hmm. more so than it's, it's not pain. It's this process of deciding what you want, mm-hmm. conferring with your artist, getting it done, mm-hmm. doing the healing process where it's not just the simple, give me that. Yeah. That's what, that's what like, bu- just buying something is. Mm-hmm. But it's... Well, you know. and my, to defend that, Second idea. My first tattoo I wasn't until I was uh, like twenty eight or twenty nine when I was in Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I had always thought about it, I had a lot of ideas about tattoos, but I just never pulled the triggers or nothing I really liked, like aesthetically. Or nothing that I was like, Well, I like this now, but who's to know what I'm gonna like in like five years? And then I was in Korea and I'm watching an adult video and one of the actresses has a black star on her back. And I see it as, you know, she's getting reamed from behind. And I was like, oh, I love that black star. I'm getting that. Literally the next day I got that exact same tattoo. And it's, it's still, I think, my favorite. Like, I never get to see it because it's, you know, on my back. But Is it a tramp stamp? <laughs> no, it's between my shoulder blades. It's a black star between my shoulder blades. But every now and again, like, I'll be, like, I'll get out of the shower and I'll see it in the mirror. I'll be like, oh, yeah, man, I still like that. I'm still yeah, Starboy yeah, from that, Korea. Yeah, that, but it leads into like that kind of nostalgia thing. That's a moment mm-hmm. where your moment isn't so much your st- your star represents something in your past, but the star represents an event in your past. Where now you can look back and be like, I remember that time when I was in Korea and I saw that porno. <laughs> Please, <laughs> yeah. adult video. It's an adult video. It's a video. It for was an adults. adult recreational film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think uh, like uh, Eric, you were saying that it's just like tattoo culture is is kind of this. It's not just one thing. Like, there is no philosophy behind it, and it's a very individual experience when you have tattoos, right? You you develop these relationships. Like, this one one I do have, right? The one place my sleeve isn't. I just got her because I saw her in the flash, and I liked her. And I still have her. Oh. She's trashy, and it's it's terrible, but I just just got it. So. Well, see, I like what you said there about, like... Like, the relationship between you and your tattoos. Like, I've always been of the mind, like, okay, well, I like it now. Like, my relationship, that'll come later. Like, when you get a cat, like, you don't get a cat being like, we're going to be, like, kind of the odd couple. <laughs> I'm going to be Felix. You're going to be the other one. Like, that's how this is going to work, right? I'm like, the messy oh, one. Like, I'm the messy one. You're the clean one. Yeah. <laughs> like, that relationship will come later. Like, that'll develop as you get older. And, uh... I've never regretted having a cat. I don't regret any of my tattoos, even the ones that I got, like, spur of the moment. I had one that I covered up. Oh, why, why was that? It was my first one when I was 18, and I was dead set, on, dead set on getting a tattoo. And my dad was always like, you know, and originally I wanted to just get something, like, really, really metal as fuck. <laughs> like an inverted cross or something. But my dad was like, no, I, I think you should get something smaller. You might regret it. And I, I listened to him. Right, so I got a barbed wire tattoo. <laughs> oh! He got that Pamela Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> and the only thing 
that I just, for the years that I've had it and I've looked at it and I'm like, this is so lame. This is so lame. And I can always hear my buddy in the back of my head being oh, was like, it, was it right here? Yeah, it was, you can uh, still kind of okay. see it with the cover up and I can still hear my buddy being like, I smoke motherfuckers with bad barbed wire tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, one of the interesting things about, I think about tattoos is you can initially go in with like this kind of meaning and this feeling associated with it, but over time that also actually changes. Right, right. One of that tattoos where I was like, oh, you know, this is a good time in my life. Now I'm looking back and I'm like, well, that was kind of a learning experience in my life. Yeah. Where, yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things about it, too. Where people look at it as this kind of a static, frozen moment. Mm-hmm. Where this means this. Where, over time, the meanings of those kind of things can change. Right, like, the, I, got, I keep saying, like, the relationship between you and this idea, you and this concept, you and this picture, like, that's going to change mm-hmm. regardless. And, like, you can't stop that from changing, like, the older you get. You're going to mm-hmm. look back upon these times and... Because you're changed, and necessarily, like, the relationship with that thing is going to change at least a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, why don't we take another break? Uh, what's What are we going to hear next on the, uh, the old playlist? Uh, let's see. Uh, why not some Horse and Deer? Let's play a couple tracks from Horse and Deer. Yeah, let's do some, uh, yeah, two tracks, Horse and Deer. Um, I don't have the song titles because they're in Japanese. Well, we'll figure those out <laughs> later. Oh, that's right, because they write in... Their song titles in kanji, which yeah, yomenai. Um, I wish that looks like wait, the one for exit. Oh wait, here <laughs> we go. Possibly not. Oh, okay, so we have uh, two horse and deer tracks coming up. We have uh, koto de auto, which means oral vomiting, and then the second one is I knew it was mouth. Atoi daraizu, which I don't really know what that means. Well, <laughs> anyway, here they are. Finishing up here, let's do our thank yous and goodbyes. Jared, thank you for letting us uh, record in your apartment. My pleasure. And let's thank our guest, Eric Hurlbert, for coming on and telling us all about Japanese tattooing culture, history of and present day. Uh, Eric, is there anything you want to plug? How can someone find you or your writing or anything like that? Ah, I think the only way that people can find my writing is from the university repository. So, you know, I study at Sophia, so they collect all of our works and place it up there but you know I'm in the process of trying to publish things but I'm just glad to be here I'm glad to share with people you know it's got, a, part got of a Twitter out there. got an Instagram 
Uh, I, got, I guess I got an Instagram if you want to see my tattoos. It's Rogue Leader 330. I'm a Star Wars good. fan. Nice. So. And uh, let's do a shout out to your guys' uh, tattoo artist. Uh, Horimitsu! Yeah, Horimitsu does. <laughs> Actually, Horimitsu is publishing a book right now. Uh, we'll have the link uh, posted in the article uh, when we post this. Awesome. Um, but he's got an art book that's being published. Um, it went through crowdsourcing and it passed crowdsourcing. So it should be coming out any time. I think in the next couple months. In the next couple months, because I know I, I donated like about $40 because I want my own print from him. So Nice. Uh, if someone wanted to get a tattoo from him, uh, what, does he, what does he work out of? Uh, he works at Honey Tattoo in Ikebukuro. Um, and we'll post a link to the site or maybe his Facebook. He's got his own website. It's Horimitsu First. Horimitsu First, F-I-R-S-T. That you can check it out at. Odimitsufirst.com. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. And I would like to plug uh, Tokyo Hardcore Tattoo in Koenji. Real easy to find. It's uh, right in that shopping arcade south of Koenji Station. Uh, good prices, good work, uh, nice people. And if you don't speak any Japanese, they do have some English-speaking artists. Anyway, let's... Uh, uh, actually, before we finish, I'd like to plug a couple more artists. Uh, there's my friend Jeremy who uh, just started working out of Machida with Tomo. Um, and we'll have uh, links to their art. Jeremy's a fantastic artist. Uh, he does a lot of black and white work. Uh, Tomo, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, he does kind of a American traditional style, but he also can do a kind of synthesis with Japanese and American style. We'll have a plug or a link to his, uh, his um, Instagram both of their Instagrams, respectively, mm, sounds um, neat. on the site as well. All right, well, I think that wraps her up. Um, we're going to go out on a Gallhammer track. Uh, what's the title of that track? It's Tomurai, Let Our Father Die. Let Our Father Die. That's kind of a bummer. <laughs> but uh, we enjoyed the track, and I think you will, too. Uh, everyone, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Deuces. See you, scumbag.